Hello and welcome to another episode of Law Pod. I am Lee Hedgebantelis, the principal of Bryden's Lawyers. Now today we are shifting our focus back to the firm and I have with me today two special guests, two lawyers employed by me within the Common Law Division of Bryden's Lawyers. Allow me to introduce to you Mohamed Kia and Bajan Umarko. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Is this your first podcast? It is definitely. Nervous? Likewise. Nervous? Not really. Mm. Is this part of your job description? Did you, did you see that when you first started with Brighton's Lawyers? You're going to be required to do a podcast from time to time? Is it something that you're keen on doing? Is it, were you dragged into it voluntarily or involuntarily? What was the position? I saw, well, you know, you tend to do the podcasts, and I see, you know, Benji and a few others and the other people at the firm be brought on. So I was waiting for my time for you to ask me. So Well, it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned that, Bajan, because for me, I've got to really try and struggle with motivation today because after doing podcasts with Benji and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Robbie Farrah, Tim Sheens, now I've got you two. Oh, we're here to blow your mind, Lee. That's what uh, we're well, here for. Well, this is all part of some branding, some marketing exercise, so you, you boys need to sell yourselves. Oh, you'll, be, you'll, you'll see me next week again. You'll, you'll, you'll love me that much. Okay, all right. Well, well, we'll start from the beginning. All right, well, first we'll start with you, Mohammed, the more senior lawyer. How long have you been with the firm? Um, coming up on two years this month, actually. Two years? Yeah, That's already. gone quick. During Enjoy- COVID. Enjoying it? I love it. Absolutely love Okay, it. well, you came to us from another firm that we don't need to mention. Yep. Uh, you came into our common law section. Yep. You took on a practice of your own from the beginning. Yes. Okay. So a bit of sink and swim. It was definitely sink and swim. Although we did give you some sort of support. I'm, there there I'm, was I a hope, little bit. Yeah, I would hope so. And that your practice is common law, so primarily matter accident, work injury damages, public liability type claims. Yeah, exactly right. And that's what you were doing beforehand. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. The differences between where you were and where you are. Well, there's a lot of differences. I mean, the support system at Brighton's is pretty much unparalleled in comparison to where I've been. Basically, the resources, you know, the support you have from not only your, your colleagues, but, you know, your seniors and things like that, it's really just really helpful in terms of extracting the best result for your client. It's something that you don't really know about until you join and you see it firsthand. And you think, okay, well, this is the difference between, you know, a small market firm and someone who's much higher on the tier and, oh, and yeah. so on. Now, I agree. I say, I say to people when I, when I interview them, if you are interested in personal injury law and you really want to develop your craft, then there is no better firm in which to do it. I mean, we are actually at the coalface. I, I am absolutely convinced that we produce more litigation, more personal injury matters than, than any other firm because, I mean, I, I reference what I'm being told by insurers, by defendant solicitors, what we see in the courts, for example, the amount of cases that we do actually litigate. So if you want to... If you really want to establish yourself as a litigation specialist, then there is no better firm in which to do it. That was my experience as, a, as an employee solicitor coming through and, and then partner, and hopefully it's yours. I can certainly attest to it. I mean, I've been told by colleagues from other firms. I've been told by barristers. Even yourself, when I first joined in my job interview, first thing you said was, you know, we don't roll over for anyone. We're a litigation firm, first and foremost. And I think that was a bit intimidating at first because I'm not used to that sort of line but once we got into it you sort of see that it really is incredibly effective at proceeding with claims and so on all right well no regrets then absolutely not good to hear now Bajan, you started with us pre your admission as a solicitor that's right working with muhammad that's right okay admitted when may of this year okay so very very fresh very yeah okay your impressions with the transition into a legal career is it is it working out the way you had anticipated are there some challenges, for example, that you didn't anticipate or is it everything that you had hoped for? There's no way I really think you can 100% be ready as a solicitor until you're a solicitor. Like the trend, There's always going to be a transition period and regardless of your kind of paralegal experience you might do before that, there is definitely a steep learning curve still. 
but yeah it's everything that I wanted it was what I wanted to do and yeah I've been loving it so I don't have any regrets about becoming a solicitor at all alright well let's let's go back to the beginning then with, with you Mohammed, where did it all start why, why did you want a, a career in the law funnily enough I come from a family of lawyers the most prominent of which is personal injury lawyer so very early on before I was even in you know ready to make a career choice, I had been exposed to this environment, I'd been exposed to the amount of community work that was being done, the way people's lives were being changed. So I think my career was pretty much predetermined, having experienced that and grown up in it, I knew that it was always what I wanted to do. Okay, Bajan? My lead up to the law was very different to Muhammad's. So I you know, didn't come from a family of lawyers, I was first lawyer now our family so for me it was probably I guess it was probably just around year 11 year 12 I just found myself more gravitating towards law and then once I got a taste of it as a paralegal I knew that's where I really wanted to end up okay well for me it was very different I mean I grew up in a Greek takeaway bar never exposed to the law as such no one in my family and in, in my parents or extended family had even gone to university so it was uh, you know breaking new ground incredibly encouraged by the family to do it of course it would have been different for you, Muhammad. As I say, if you're growing up in a, a family of lawyers, people have been, you know, tertiary educated. It would be very, very different. I think I come from. Uh, my parents are immigrants. Mm. My cousins' parents are immigrants. Things like that. So they sort of broke that barrier for me, the way you would have done for, you know, your family. And I sort of just followed up in their footsteps. So yeah, I guess I, they were they were the ones that the trailblazers mm. for me to go ahead and do it. I couldn't be more thankful about it. Okay. Well, all right. Well, personal injury, both of you. Yes. Yeah. How and why? Initially, I thought I was going to, you know, when I was studying at the early stages of uni, I thought I was going to end up in, like, commercial corporate. That's where initially I thought I was destined to go, so to speak. Once I had a taste of compensation law, I just realised that I had more meaning to the work that I was doing. And I just find advocating for the clients where there's this imbalance of power to be really fulfilling. So that's why I ended up making personal injury law my niche, and I hope to do that moving forward. All right. I mean, as I said, you've only been admitted now for a few months. Yeah. But from your own personal perspective, then, do you see yourself as remaining and becoming, you know, a specialist and an expert in the field of personal injury law? Or is it something that you might think, oh, hang on, I might look at other areas later on in life. I might might want to do a bit of crime or a bit of family or a bit of commercial or whatever the case might be. Or do you think you might be satisfied with where you are? No, I'm happy with personal injury. I think that's my, that's my niche. I've, you know, had a taste of different little areas. But once I've, you know, come to find torts and compensation law, that's where I want to end up and yeah. stay. Okay. And Mohammed? Personal injury law. I did get exposed to a lot of areas of law, but similarly to Bajan, it's the personal reward you get, the satisfaction you get from helping people who are extremely disenchanted. I mean, most of the time you're working with people who are down in the dumps, really have are struggling. They feel like they haven't got anyone in their corner. Being able to give someone like that a voice against, you know, these big power brokers, these insurers that, that pretty much dominate their lives for years at a time, being able to see them through to the end and then watching that you know, get that weight off their shoulders. It's unparalleled in terms of what I've experienced as a lawyer. And it's certainly the reason I I intend to stay in personal injury. Yeah. Look, I I agree. I've dabbled in other areas, of course, over time by necessity, but I've always come back to personal injury and that's where my accreditation as a specialist is. But I just find it so professionally and personally fulfilling because it touches on so many different areas. You know, there's litigation, of course, but there's also advocacy. And it's, and it's a combination of what I see as being the inherent principles of being a solicitor are. There are others, and I was only talking to someone about this the other day. There are lawyers within our industry that would dread being in fear of going to court or having to stand up in front of a judge or a magistrate or whoever in a tribunal and having to say something on their feet. There are others that thrive on that, that, that sort of that, that litigation, that advocacy, standing, you know, thinking on your feet and running cases. 
There are others who are more than content sitting in an office and just taking their instructions via email and drafting documents day in, day out. That's not me. For me, litigation provides that balance between the drafting of documents, pleadings, you know, statements of particulars, requests for particulars, the like, and then giving advice, but also the advocacy, going to court, and you know, if not appearing yourself, you know, instructing in counsel, which is still very, very, very rewarding. I can't think off the top of my head any other area of law that would give me that sort of buzz. Now, I'll just tell you very quickly, when I first started at Brian's Lawyers in 1988, there were two of us, two graduate solicitors starting at the one time, and we both were interviewed, and the decision was made that I would do family law slash crime, and that the other solicitor, a female, would be employed in the personal injury section. So for her, they ordered pink files, and for me, brown. We were then called back for a second interview, and I was interviewed by Ian Edward Bryden, who I think made the decision that he was gonna take me into the personal injury division. And so they swapped us over, but the files had already been ordered and remained. So my first files were pink for that reason. But how things might have been very different if I didn't start with Ian Bryden in personal injury, and I'd started somewhere else. It's amazing. I think all of us start somewhere in the way life takes us. It's just sort of fortunate in that regard. But I mean, especially at Brydon's, what you were touching on in terms of the advocacy, being able to work in a firm like Brydon's with the resources, the experience to actually take insurers to task or defense mm-hmm. to task, that is the real rewarding thing. And, and knowing, and I think insurers know that about us, that if we say we're gonna take them to court, or if we say we're holding them accountable, we will, do everything in our power no, to do so. Absolutely. And the other thing about personal injury, Bajan, that you would have found, every case is different. Every client's different. Every fact scenario is different. So every time you open a file, every time you take initial instructions, it's a new experience. Yeah, that's exactly right. Especially only having been you know, solicitor for six months, pretty much every file that's open, I'm gaining a new exposure to another niche area of personal injury. There's something new, there's something else you know or a unique issue to this particular case that isn't an issue in another case so that's quite a very interesting part about litigation and how that develops as you continue running the case and it's very hard and from our perspective too not to become somehow emotionally involved right and I'll, I'll give you an example this morning i received a phone call from one of our barristers who's doing a case for us in the city i think it's starting next monday and it's a very young girl she was two or three years of age at the time fell over and suffered an, an extraordinarily serious injury to her eye Fortunately, no loss of vision, but the eye is disfigured. Now, she's eight years of age now, and the insurer's making an offer, and it sounds like a lot of money. But I said to the barrister, this girl's eight. She's had this injury now for four or five years, and she will have it for another 75, given her life expectancy. So every day for the rest of her life, every time she looks in that mirror, she's going to see that disfigured eye. Now, at eight years of age, it may not be a drama, but wait until she gets to high school and she's dealing with the, you know, the mean girls. Or wait until she needs to find a boyfriend or a husband and this, the disfigurement then comes into account and you know it may, may limit her chances or whatever the case might be. You think to yourself what that girl is going to go through and the barrister said, you're absolutely right, this case is worth a lot of money. And it is. And I know that the courts are very generous in scarring cases, disfigurement cases, particularly with females and not being sexist, but it's right. Uh, particularly with females, they can give the money away as they should. So. Again, you know, just just a simple phone call this morning, and all of a sudden I've become like emotionally invested in this case, and I know it's on for hearing next week. And I've said to the barrister, you tell the other side, we won't be taking one cent less than a certain sum that I think is fair, and otherwise we will run that case through. That's the, that's what I enjoy. That's what, you know, and I know I know that you've had engagement recently, Mohammed, in a case that you've become very 
yes. invested in pe- people that I know socially and, That's right. and entrusted you to actually look after yeah. the case for them. Funnily enough, I, I gave it a lot of attention because obviously it was related to you, but then ultimately I got very close to the family, the client herself, and yeah, it's one of those things where I think the insurers got a lot of intimidating factors try- at play and we really haven't allowed them to you know, have yeah. that sort of run of the, the field. Obviously, you've been heavily involved in that case as well. Having that support and the backup, knowing yeah. that uh, you know, I'm as passionate as I am and that those views are supported, it's very reassuring. Oh, absolutely. But the, but the conduct of the insurer was disgraceful in this case. For some, for some reason, they took the, the point with this woman, and I don't know why. They treated with her with contempt from the beginning, even through the trial. The conduct of the barrister that they had engaged was a disgrace, and hopefully it will go further. We're waiting on a judgment at the moment, so hopefully we're all going to be vindicated as to what we think the case is worth. But their behaviour left a lot to be desired. And as I say, at the end of the day, we're doing a job for our clients, our respective clients. We're acting for plaintiffs, they're acting for insurers. But there is a a modicum of decorum called for, and there is a base level of professional courtesy, something that I think that we we might be seeing the the reduction of Mm. in the profession. I think with this case and many cases like this, I know we we spoke about how insurers bully, but in a lot of cases, insurers don't even bother going that far. They see clients as numbers on a page, you know, just figures to sort of minimise. And it sort of dehumanises our clients, dehumanises people who have been injured, wronged by other people. So there is a lot of aspects where we do need to support our clients in that regard. Bajan, is that your experience as well? Like when, when insurers are dealing with these claimants or the plaintiffs, they're just treated like a number, they're just another claim that's coming through the ranks, but whereas you get to know your clients personally? Yeah, that's right. I find, you know, you kind of get told when you're going through law school, like it's it's a file, you shouldn't try to, you know, be too emotionally connected to your cases. I feel like once you, you, you meet the family, you understand what they're going through, that that file doesn't become a number for you. That's, you know, you, you got someone's lives in your hands and they're giving you the responsibility to, you know, give them the support and our needs. So for us, it doesn't end up becoming just a number, but, you know, from our experience, it just seems like on the other side of it, it is just a claim that they just have to kind of process. Yeah, look, I, I agree. I think if you cannot be empathetic, if you can't take on your client's challenges, if you don't understand them, then you shouldn't be doing this job. Yeah. Absolutely. You've got to put yourself in that position. Now, with respect to the, lung, the young girl we were talking about earlier and the disfigurement of the eye, I'm a father of three girls. And I'm telling you that if, you know, but for the grace of God, but, if that was one of my daughters, no amount of money would ever satisfy me. It wouldn't be about money. It would be, you know, that someone would have to explain as to why my daughter has to be disfigured now for the rest of her life because of their neglect. And as I say, it would be impossible to satisfy that sort of inquiry. But I don't think you could do personal injury without having a level of empathy. Yeah. Ultimately, that's what helps you connect with the client. That's what drives you to do better. That's what drives you to go the extra distance. Okay. Now, Mohammed, you lead a very large, very successful and a very expensive team. Thankfully. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, you're welcome. So explain to us how it all works. I mean, who who, who works with you? What yes. do they do? What your role is? What Bajan's role is? Yeah, absolutely. So I took on this team when I first came in because the senior associate who was in charge was actually on maternity leave. And I'm pretty sure you gave me this job as a charity case. Possibility. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, the charity case ended up being very profitable for you. And then, you know, as part of my role, we probably have between us in my team 150, 160 files at the moment. Those numbers are always going up, especially with, you know, the environment of coming out of COVID, increasing people, you know, suffering injuries at work, out at play, whatever it is. When Bejan's not slowing me down, he's uh, <laughs> he's basically acting under me as a junior lawyer. His role is basically to, you know, correspond with clients, give advice, you know, explain cost agreements, explain documents, and really just guide a client through. I do the same thing, obviously. We also have, you know, a couple of paralegals who, uh, one of which is Sabrina, she's studying to be a lawyer at the moment. She's got a couple of years left. Very promising career ahead of her as well. And Jade, who's been an employee of Brighton's for, I think, coming up 
over 20 years uh, now. She has, I remember. She was my junior. Oh, there you go. She was now, my, when she started. Well, maybe we should have her compare who was a bit more of an effective oh, leader. <laughs> Muhammad, I think I know the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I won't argue with you on your podcast. Basically, our job is to correspond with these clients, correspond with the insurers, make sure their claims are progressing as efficiently and as effectively as possible to get these people moving on with their lives. Okay. And Bajan, what, what little do you do? My role has kind of changed to now. So I came in, obviously, as a law clerk and then have come on board as a solicitor under Muhammad and yourself. So ultimately, pretty much like if I'm at sometimes out of office instructing council conferences now and either drafting documents for Muhammad or corresponding clients. So pretty much just being support for him, but also he's kind of given me the autonomy to run cases under his supervision and barristers' advices, so it's been good. So from your perspective, I'm assuming, well, it's, it's our expectation as well that you will progress through that training, mentoring process and eventually look at having a practice of your own. Yeah, one day, I'd like to hope so. Yeah, well, we all would, let me assure you. Because <laughs> what we've found is that at the moment, particularly in this post-COVID environment, that recruitment and retention is a nightmare. Mm. It really is difficult. The most success that we've had in terms of our staff are to take people on relatively early in their careers and train them up. And they're the ones who have been here for 15 and 20 years and proven most successful. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a pathways program that we have developed and continue to develop. It's no different to an NRL team, which I have some relationship with. A little bit. Uh, where you have a pathways program. You get these young ones through at 13, 14, 15 years of age and you let them know that there is a career path open to them. It's no different with the people here in this office. I mean, we have, as you pointed out, with Sabrina, for example, who's just uh, studying fairly recently. But already there are signs there that she will have what it takes to be a successful solicitor. So we know that we will nurture those aspirations. And then hopefully within four, five, six years, she will exactly be right. she'll be sitting here as well and answering these sorts of questions. Has it worked out the way you had hoped? Is, is there any part of the job that you don't like? Before joining Brighton's, I actually said I was going to leave personal injury. I thought I'd give it one last ditch effort. I was really just exhausted with how much, you know, how buried these plaintiffs are, how buried these clients are. And I really just, it takes a massive toll on you emotionally when you can't do your best for them and when you haven't got the support systems in place. Since joining Brighton's, that's no longer the case. I genuinely have reinvigorated that passion and, and, and that fire to sort of represent plaintiffs, mainly because I'm supported in doing so. So look, ultimately it was a rocky start, but where I am now, it's exactly where I'd hope to be. Good. Bajan, for you, is it working out the way you hoped? Yeah, so far so good. I don't really have, I don't really have the legs in terms of the experience to us like Muhammad and yourself have to have, you know fully understood all the ins and outs of personal injury law but at the moment I'm, I'm really enjoying you know the the challenge and the hill that I'm climbing so yeah no no really complaints in terms of so far it's been it's been quite it's been quite good. Well you're both relatively early in your careers and hopefully mm. it's a very long and successful one but you'll you'll understand you'll come to understand what the role is and how important it is and how important the work that you do do for these clients is and, but not only that, how you figure it in the, in the larger picture and how important the, the legal industry is within a, you know, a modern democracy such as Australia. And, um, you know, our, our legal industry, for example, our legal profession, uh, our judicial system is not perfect, but it's n no doubt it's the best in the world from what I've seen. I mean, what you see in America, for example, with the appointment of judges by political parties mm -hmm. for pre a predetermined purpose, you know, even on their Supreme Court, all of these sorts of... We don't have those dramas mm. here. We have judges who are appointed solely on the basis of their qualifications and experience and expertise. So as a legal system, I think you know, we, we can hold our head up high and we play a very important role in that. And when you appreciate it and you understand it, I think it gives you a, a different sort of perspective on, on, our, on our job. You might be acting for one client, but you are part of a larger system and, and, your, and your role is critical. If not a lawyer, Bajan, what would you have done? <laughs> 
hopefully my dad's not listening, but um, my dad owned a kebab shop, so I don't That's know. What, you would have got in there? Oh, look, probably, well, realistically, probably not. I don't know. Yeah. When I was at uni, I thought it was either for me, it was I wanted to go into politics or law, yep. and I just kind of gravitated more towards law, so... I don't really know what... I didn't really have a plan B, so to speak. For me, it was just... It was law and that was kind Are of Are there it. still political aspirations? No, I'm, I'm pretty happy where I am. Well done and dusted. Uh, I've been approached a number of times, asked to whether I would consider it, whether I would consider running or whatever for the local member and members of parliament, whatever. I was asked by one senator once of the Australian federal government. And he I said, can see it. Well, he said to me, would I you be ever interested in joining the party and running for a seat? And I said to him, no, I said I couldn't afford the pay cut. <laughs> and uh, he didn't think that was funny at all. <laughs> Mohammed, if not law, what would you be doing? Oh, like I said earlier, I never really thought about anything, but I do like cars, so probably mm. something with cars. God knows what, but yeah. yeah, I never really thought of. I never imagined anything apart from law. Medicine never interested me. I was never never been any interest there. I um, wasn't smart enough for that. Um, <laughs> although a, a vet, I could I, I could see myself being a vet. I think I could have enjoyed being a vet. A farmer, maybe something along those lines, or such something completely different. But I never gave it any thought. I never wanted to do anything anything different. One of the barristers, whom we all know very, very well, was actually accepted into Sydney Uni for both law and medicine. Had to choose and mm. chose law, and he regrets it to this day. So, <laughs> thirty-five years later, he still regrets it. He says it's the reading that, oh, that yeah. kills us yeah. because, as I said to you earlier, every case is different. So you've got to read every case. And his argument is that if he was an orthopedic surgeon doing knee replacements, you'd have to re- just do five knee replacements a week and you're fine. That's all you need to do. Give, a few, give a few reports. Yeah. Nothing, yeah, nothing, <laughs> pay a few thousand yeah, for those. <laughs> nothing changes. Now, all three of us are lawyers, of course, mm. and we are lawyers 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's one of those odd professions where you are defined by who you are, what your practice is. We don't knock off at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon and say, okay, well, I'd have no longer any sort of professional or ethical responsibilities. You are a lawyer 24-7. But how do you how do you relax? How do you turn off what you do here professionally and to do it socially? Oh, I how think, do you draw that line? I think it took a lot of practice. Like we were talking about earlier, it, it can be emotionally taxing, learning to shut off from work is really I think a key to your mental health in the area of law because you become so involved with these people with their claims and, and caring about them and so on so really it's should when you're off you should be as disconnected from the work as you can obviously you still have your responsibilities and ethical obligations etc but you really need to set aside that time for your family for yourself whatever it is whether it's an hour at the gym after work whether it's going to dinner with your mates whatever it is you just really need to find that balance because you will age very quickly I think <laughs> if you don't find that time for yourself Bajan, for you, do you find it difficult to turn off sometimes? Yeah, I do. I think Mohammed's learning yes. that about me because I'm... <laughs> I get emails on Sunday night. <laughs> I don't need those emails. Or at uh, seven o'clock at night, email, have you seen this letter? Yeah. This is ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. So I'm still learning that balance between, you know, finding that space for myself. But I generally find, you know, just doing some exercise after work and spending time with my partner, you know, either just having cooking dinner together or watching a TV show to be mm. what works for me. But yeah, I've got to work on that bit. Yeah, well, look, it's not easy because I've, I've been doing this, of course, a lot longer. I mean, being a lawyer now has integrated itself so much into my life that Saturdays and Sundays responding to emails, do with emails, is just, it's just mm. no concern. It's I just part and parcel of who I am. And phone calls from the barristers on the weekends, for example, it's just not an issue. It's not a concern. It's just exactly, you know, what's been happening for so many years. And it's just who, who we are. But as I say, but it's an interesting conundrum, isn't it, that that's who you are defined by. You are a lawyer and you have those responsibilities all the time. Anything that you do outside in your private life can come back 100%. and impact upon your ability to practice and, yeah. and, and such. So the most valuable thing that we all enjoy, of course, is our practicing certificate, right. mm-hmm. yeah. something that should be cherished and should be very well 
protected. All right, well, look, there's a question here that I'm asked to ask of you to identify a movie or a TV show within the legal industry you think somehow identifies or relates to your practice in life. Oh, my practice. Oh, I watch some dodgy legal shows. So yeah. Probably not my practice. In terms of favourites, oh, I'd have to say My Cousin Vinny's up there. Oh, that wasn't a bad movie. I didn't mind that. Um, Joe Pesci yeah. in that is one of yeah. the funniest characters I've I ever seen. And also Better Call Saul, which is about a shyster turned lawyer. I've heard of it and never never watched it. It's amazing. Yeah. The, the acting is incredible. Yeah. There are Look, I don't think there's such thing as a realistic mm. legal TV show or movie. I don't think it exists because it'd be a bit monotonous yep. for, for most of the most of the time but i think every show or tv show has some aspect of realism yeah like better call Saul, for example which shows the struggle of a you know sole practitioner trying to make it in a firm my cousin Vinny shows the, the struggles of a lawyer who doesn't understand mm. how to do a hearing for example so realistic i can't really attest to one but i think all of them have a little bit of something Bajan? yeah i'm with muhammad i haven't come across a tv show or movie that is realistic to what we do every day here and now it's actually really disappointing yeah. just once you want to watch and yeah. be like yeah that's what it's that's like what it's you like. never get it well the one that i find i think most offensive and i've never seen it on tv but i've watched a thousand clips on tiktok let is me get suits, oh, yeah. suits. <laughs> it's the most offensive like oh, it's hilarious how many cowboys <laughs> well, well it, there's, there's a dispute that arises and just somehow miraculously they find a letter or a piece of paper or they make these assertions in court well, we have this evidence without actually establishing what the evidence is. That because they say it, it's accepted as being real and they win their case. It's because they're good looking and in my <laughs> suits. It's the most offensive thing that I've ever seen. Oh, Even more than Ali McBeal. I mean, it's good. That was meant to be funny. It's good entertainment, but yeah. it's completely unrealistic. The, yeah. the main character after, I think, the first episode probably should have been disbarred about uh, three or four times. <laughs> but that's right. They lie and cheat, whatever. Yeah. They just get away with yep. it. For me, there was a TV series in the 1970s called Petrocelli. And he was a lawyer that would go out there and it actually sold cases and solve these dilemmas every week on behalf of his clients and I think as a young boy like you know early it would have been eight nine ten or something at the time the name Petrocelli stuck out for example and secondly the fact that he was a lawyer and I think that might have been the first vocation that I actually become familiar with so that's the reason why I became more oh, wow. interested in law moving forward in fact I think it might have been 10 so 1974 yeah so that's fourth class or whatever that is these days year four year 10 whatever anyway so that was of interest but later on in life I think the the, the show that perhaps you know really motivated me and sort of stylized my approach would have been Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the eternal battle between good and evil. Uh, where good, I, was, I was wondering where, where that was going. Evil. No, I just love Buffy. It was just a great show. Just br absolutely brilliant show. Oh, well, I think I'm too young for you too because I don't even know any of those. Really? Yeah. Uh, I, think, oh, wow. I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer has been recognized as perhaps one of the best, top 10 best programs. The writing on that show was genius well, we, absolutely genius we learned something new about you today yeah, you're yeah, a big fan it. of Buffy and in fact well, the final episode I had a Buffy party at home the kids were young and they had fake blood and fake teeth and we had a, and I had solicitors came over to the house and we had a, the, so other blood the final really. episode yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the final episode so it was a phenomenal thing well boys this has been a lot of fun for me getting to know you a little bit better Likewise. Now, this 40 minutes or so that we've spent here now doing this podcast, you're going to add that to the end of the day? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, sure. Make, make up for the time that you lost. We should have oh, done it through I lunch. I don't know about Muhammad, but I'll do that anyway. No, so. that's fine. Oh, that's well, right. well, There's no need to talk about it. I appreciate that. And of course, as I say, the fact that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, turning off and having a life outside, the fact that we've got this hybrid working program at the moment, I think, mm. greatly assists where you've got five days in the office and two days working from home. <laughs> Are you enjoying that? Well, look, I don't know about everyone else, but Saturday, Sunday, I try to avoid it. It's, sometimes it's unavoidable. Mm. But yeah, look, no. I personally, I actually prefer being in the office.
person, and I'm not saying this to suck up. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, do yeah. genuinely. <laughs> no, 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 no. You yeah. know, because I get to see you walk past my office and look in and we, make, um, make we, sure I'm working. Yeah, and, we had an applicant for a position only fairly recently, and he asked about flexibility, and I said, all day Saturday and all day Sunday, <laughs> knock yourself out, and that didn't go over too well. He thought I was joking. As I say, th- there is a, obviously a, a hybrid arrangement at the moment. Yeah. Who knows where it's going to end? I, I have no idea what the next 12 months, two years are going to look like. I, I think that the whole market's going to change. Having said that, it really is an interesting dynamic where the world has landed post-COVID. I'm very old school. Ian Bryden said to me once in his entire life, he never took a file home. Uh, I'm like that as well. I will stay in the office for as long as necessary or come in on a Saturday and finish the work. But home is home and the office is the office and never mix. But now, I mean, it's, yeah, it there's a complete exist. complete yeah. blending. The lines are blurred. Complete blending of it too. And whether that's a good thing or not, only time will tell. Mm. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. I hope thank you've you enjoyed it. No, I have. for having us. Interesting experience and whatever for you guys. So uh, definitely. For future reference, those of you who are listening, if there are any particular subjects that you are interested in, please email us directly at lawpod at brydens.com.au. Follow us on all our social media platforms, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if there's anything in particular that you want, just reach out and we'll we'll do our best for you. So again, I'm Lee Zabantella signing off for Bryden's Lawyers. Mm-hmm.